The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is Kerr O'Kane. Kerr is the frontman of the phenomenal La Fontaines and he talks about how he fell into music and the mad journey that it's taken him on. Kerr tells some hilarious stories including being arrested in Marrakesh and losing the band's entire budget for a music video on one spin in the casino. You'll hear exactly why he loves doing what he does and we also discuss the male suicide epidemic in Kerr's hometown of Motherwell. We dissect the concept of social media and its grip on our lives. It's a conversation you've heard before, but it's an ongoing and continuously evolving thing, so it's important to keep having it. Overall, a good chat and one that made me laugh throughout, so I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you do, feel free to share it because it really helps me. Cheers. So you played youth football at pro youth level. You released at 17. So you did the obvious thing that anybody would do and you became a rapper. Like... Oh, that was that was the natural progression. That's how I knew it. Every day from other world. Done football, get dropped, and then went into the rap game. It's it's only natural. <laughs> how, so, did, uh, how does that come about? I don't know. I think I get. I, I, I remember I went off for a header one time. Come back, hurt my neck. I was out for like pff, I don't know five or six weeks. Anyway, long story short, couldn't get back any team. I was like, that fucking right. Well, watch this. <laughs> I'm going to start rapping about this. Have you heard that <laughs> story where uh, John Lambie's a Baltic Thistle manager? And a player's concussed, and the physio comes off to the pitch, and he's like, "Boss, he doesn't even know who he is." And John Lambie Tell says, "Tell me, send them back on again." Aye, see when, <laughs> see when you're in the deck, <laughs> is your manager like that to the physio? Tell him he's Doctor Dre, <laughs> and that's it. The rest, the rest is history. That's, how, that's maybe what happened, but aye. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll go back to the start. We'll we'll talk about a lot of things, obviously. Like, um, we'll talk about the band we'll talk about making videos we'll talk about all the scrapes you get up to and what's coming in the future but even before all that all that then so growing up in Motherwell for anybody who's no well versed with Motherwell where it is either geographically or what it's like as a place give us a wee rundown uh, what life was like for you growing up um, Motherwell for me was it's it's a a very proud small working class town back in the day the steelworks before Thatcher shut that down. It was it was the, the, the Ravens Craig there, so it was it's very working class orientated. I went to school, um, primary school, Ladywell Primary School. Moved about to Calder School. Just even within that wee vicinity, we moved quite a wee bit, um, and then went to eventually DL High School. And I was, it was weird, man. I'm not saying it was hard or nothing like that, but it, it was a uh, bit. Well, my dad's Turkish, so. Right away, I, when I was younger, I, my, my, I had a, felt like I had 
I was just diff- it was different, man. It was because mm. I had a different name and all. I, my name was Kareem. I changed my name when I was fucking oh, right. primary. Primary what? Four. I remember I was the worst man because I was I was. It was just when you're young, you just want to be the same as everybody else. You just right. so you want you to want to be different. So well, I think a Turkish dad. I was going to say just to sorry to interject because it's so annoying when somebody's talking and then the fucking arsehole host just jumps in. Not but I can to- totally back you up on that. I went to school, I did primary two, three and four down in Essex and I had an mm. Essex accent, which now turns my stomach. I'm like, oh, what already? <laughs> like, I can't believe I did that. But I, I completely understand just wanting to be the same as Aye. everybody else. It's well, that's that's exactly what it'd be like. You just come in like you're, like you're wearing a big sign saying I'm different. Notice me, <laughs> and it, you, that's not what you want, man. You when know, you're, you're a wee guy, you just want to be no. blending in. And uh, obviously, it's different. When you're older, but you, you're you're dying to be different. Well, I was anyway. I was like, Aye. I'm going, to, I'm going to have a, 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 a ninety degree turn here somewhere. And um, I was so I was I was called cream. <laughs> and, uh, Cream and strawberries. That was a good nickname. <laughs> <laughs> is so there anybody like, funnier? Is there anybody funnier than kids in a Scottish no, playground? No, I don't think no there's a chance, man. They've got the best part of it, isn't it? <laughs> uh, cream and strawberries, man. And uh, fucking, I was like, I need to get this name to fuck. So my grand found out that you could change your name for £43.50 on deed polls. <laughs> so unbeknownst to my dad and my mum, she was like, just change your name to Kerr, just shorten it. Because Kareem was it's really Kareem, I think the Turks pronounce it. K E R I M. So I just took the took the I M off it and put an extra arrow and that was me. I was Kerr, rebranded it. <laughs> so come out next school next day. <laughs> exactly. New image came out with a new album cover that different days on. <laughs> and uh, I came out of school the next day and, and I just kind of moved school. And uh, I had to go around the full it was an open plan school as well. It was one of these new new hybrid schools that were, they were trying, an open plan school. And the teachers, absolute worst, made me go in every class and be like, hi, I, I know you all know me as Kareem, but like, man, Nick, I'm now care. And everybody, as soon as lunchtime hit, oh, that was that, was that fucking right, aye? So it was like <laughs> overload. Kareem is still serious. Get wound right up, man. I was like, that's the fucking worst thing ever. Anyway, so then I... Uh, I had to deal with that for a bit and then after a while everything kind of fades and you're just normal again. So I just, mm-hmm. just start playing football with everybody, man, was going quite well with my, my class and that. And then uh, get, I just got into playing football with the local teams and finally went to Aberdeen, um, like the Pro Youth Aberdeen when I was 12, mm-hmm. got dropped after a year there. Uh, then went to Motherwell for a bit and and that was that's what I'd done that was just a, football was like I'm going to be a football player but in hindsight um, I was blatantly no good enough because I and I and how I know that now is because this is why I, the amount of people that tell me when we see us play live your band's right good man that was that was brilliant loved that mm. that never happened in football nobody ever went by the way you deserve to be wearing the white preddies because you're brilliant. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> Did they get that positive feedback? No, and no, not at all. I was just a bread and butter player with, with, with white preddies because I thought I could fucking do a few step overs. Yeah. See, um, 
a few years ago, you said something, and I'll read it to you. And then there's a there's a question. I think I would like to link it to the Kareem and Strawberries thing. That part I'm changing your number in my phone to Kareem and Strawberries. By the way, after this, it, it's funny, mate, because like that's <laughs> a, that's one of the things that I've I've had for like for my life. But just as I just as you grow up, like even I had I had my you're probably getting it, but my first rap, my first footing into rap, I was mm-hmm. this rapper called Prime. I call myself Prime. Was the, was the definition of peak condition? That was his. His alias, or the evil Scotsman was his other one. Uh, he was an American, American accent. And I, I managed to wipe that off the internet completely. And only in lockdown, actually, I've, I felt like, maybe because you've got that much time in your hands, you just don't. Maybe because you've not seen people at, as, for as long, you kind of think, oh, maybe they would really care about that. I'll just tell everybody this, put it out in the podcast or that. And so since then, I've, I've revealed my real name. <laughs> well, daily, so I'm going to commit a lockdown and get fucking hound it. <laughs> and rightly so, weakness should exactly. be punished. Now, mm-hmm. you, you, so you said years ago, I've often struggled with my emotions. Anything other than aggression was always seen as a weakness and something that should be locked away. Being raised in Motherwell, it's like you're taught to strive to be the alpha male and that you man up when the time is right. This might be, I might be pure reaching here, but see those early experiences of just getting it tight and have, you know, standing out a wee bit. Do you think that impacted your disposition as a person and the way that you acted? Or is that something that is just, um, you know, a consequence of the environment that you're in? Well, first of all, that's the best question I've ever been asked in an interview because it's absolutely bang on. It's not reaching at all. It's, you couldn't actually feel be hard to answer that without. I'll not be able to do the answer as much justice as, as the link to the question. Um, absolutely. Growing up where we grew up, um, that's not a thing. Like, the, the 15-year-old care, looking at the, the 31-year-old now, care would have been like, who's that fucking banger? Who's, why, you're weird, mate. And it's, because it, 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 the alpha male thing, that was, that was the, the, you, you showed aggression, because everything was like it would have been soft he's awful do you know what I mean it, it's and and as a as a writer or doing the music on my third album I kind of had to I suppose just by growing up and maturing you start to learn these different emotions but as a writer I definitely had to start to try and access other emotions other than aggression otherwise it would be very very bland material and and for that I've I've, I've gained the uh, a lot more kind of assets to, to put in my music and all of that as a consequence of of doing music and travelling because very quickly getting taken out your wee motherable bubble and planting it the big the big world where there's all these different cultures and and um, and opinions and, and diversity everywhere you suddenly realise we're all just kind of the same man if you just put away all the shite do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Completely so so I absolutely mean to answer that question properly. A hundred percent. That that is a, a product of where I grew up. That um, I would have been fearful to even step my foot into that uh, kind of realm because it would it would just made me feel like scared right away. Like I can't say that man. That's people think I'm soft. Mm-hmm. Do you know what no, I mean? I, I remember as well because growing up. I saw, I don't know, I saw people older than me just dealt with everything, with aggression and meeting things head on. And I remember 
hearing people say to me as a wee guy at times, fucking it, why are you so raging? What are you getting so annoyed for? And, and inside me, I was like, I'm not angry. Like, what are you talking about? And then I would realise that although I never felt pure rage, I thought, right, if I want to deal with this, I need to kind of either you learn as you get older to go back with humour or to, to either deflect or to just fling something back at somebody. But there was a, a spell where I think I just, my instinct was just to go back with pure aggression and uh, I and meeting it head on. And then I, I had to kind of look at myself and go, I, I do actually seem as if I'm pure, inside I'm quite tranquil, I'm not really that bothered, but you can't let, can't let people take a learning, you can't let anybody walk all over you. Um, and you th- as you say, as we kind of have, have very much established, you just feel as if the only way to do that is with aggression, as if to say, and I'm not fucking scared of you. Or, I, I, you know, who are you talking I, to? I'm, I'm, I'm not, not a it's, 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 it's also a nonsense, really. You, you need to lose, you need to try really hard to lose that attitude, especially when you start to get into, you know, when you try and become somebody who's up for public opinion, when you're putting yourself out there, because because there's plenty of fucking old keyboard gangsters, man, the keyboard warriors who, who, who love to bring you down. And uh, if you react to all that, you kind of end up looking like a mug. Aye, you yourself, really. Aye. The, the, um, I, and, and I think there, what I've just kind of touched on, feeling one thing but exhibiting or displaying another. Um, obviously, there's been a, a, a real spate of suicides in you know, where you're from in Motherwell. I think it seems unbelievably disproportionate. No, I would, I would, if I had to guess, you know, I'm not going to diagnose why this is happening or you know, even attempt to box everybody in the one umbrella. But I would say, I feel like the biggest part of it is people being unable to express themselves. You wrote that song, Alpha. Um, and I, I feel like that kind of touched on that. I mean, do you want to tell us about, first about the track and the, the double side of it? Because it appears one way, but the reality is it's, you know, it's actually saying another thing. I, I, absolutely, man. Like, wait, first of all, you're right. Where, where I'm from, there's there's been so many young males um, committing suicide and it can be a number of things man I think are the economic state I think I think social media is a huge part of that as well people are constantly mm. giving it what people need to realise all the time is is that social media you're putting out your best life all the time mm. it's always you're, you're, very rarely do people put up their, the worst version of themselves and the problem is this phone is on you 24-7, generally speaking. So it's the last thing you look at when you go to bed at night and it's the first thing you look at when you, you wake up. And it's this constant tragedy like, I'm doing this, I've got this, I'm going here, this is my bird, we are so happy, blah, 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 blah. blah. And that's that's incredibly tough to take if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're struggling with some things. Um there's also, run my way, there's, there's still quite a heavy drug problem where we, um, a lot of young boys run up big tick bills and all that and they start to get themselves in a mess. And I, and I, mm. I can speak for this, knowing the situation, so I'm not, I'm not speaking, I don't feel mm. out, out of something I don't understand. I, I, I see it firsthand. I've lost people that are close to me, blah, blah, blah. It's terribly full of blah, blah, blah. There's if it's nothing, but what's what I mean? It's, it's, it kind of actually kind of becomes nothing. It's so common. So, mm-hmm. which is terrible in itself. So the song Alpha was the the actual track, the instrumentation of the track is quite an aggressive song. It's very bravado, alpha male, and the lyric 
was like behind the disguise. There's nothing at all. Do you feel that like you've been losing control? It's 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 basically like it's basically going at that. Where it's sort of what was first, what's the legacy? Break the generational gap. Feeling old before my time. No validation in that. Take the patience of a young man set to fail and request for nothing less than the alpha male. It's like everybody's trying to be. Well, where I came from is trying to be this hard bravado top boy and it's just it's just basically saying it's fucking nonsense when you we're all we've all got issues that we're dealing with mm. and I don't feel we need I, at this at, at this age that all just feels silly to me you know? I, I, I don't react to things with aggression and I try and take a wee minute to, to think about to things compress. I'm kind of the same see I, I know I just don't take things personally Um I suppose that's just over time you develop that because a year ago, if somebody said something to me, I would probably even or even six months ago, I probably would react a lot differently. Um I feel like what one thing I've learned is that there's you can, there's duality or there's multiple facets to your personality at any given time. So there can be times when you feel scared, there'll be times when you feel nervous or fearful for the future. But there may also be times when you feel really optimistic. And I think that's all part of being human. Um and recognize recognizing that and that that no state one thing as well that I've really liked is that not only when times are bad, see when times are great, I will enjoy it, but I'll be like temper it a wee bit because you know you come back down again and then you might yeah. dip further, but you will come back up and it it's just a bit of a ride. Um a roller That's coaster. the best way and... to, to, to view it, Sean, I think, mate, as well. It's, it's trying to keep some sort of balance. It's a constant seesaw effect that you need to be aware of. And I think that, again, your social media stuff can be super toxic for that. You just need to kind of get a grip on it, get a handle on it, where yeah. it's not really real. That it's, it's so fleeting as well. These moments are just so fleeting. It's literally on a timeline which updates every second. So, like, just by its very nature, it's, it's fleeting just... Yeah. Try and get it to fuck if it's if it's giving you grief. Hi, you made that point about it being people showing their highlight reel, and sometimes I've I've I think I've had the conversation before, and I may have come across as as um, criticizing people for that. But I, I use Instagram as a photo album, for example, and sometimes I like to go back and just look and be like, oh, I mind I did that. I like, remember I seen the pop or this daft things, and but you know, it is like a photo album, right? Because You'll never go into, say, your grand's house and she'll get the, she, you know, she won't get the, the the photo album out and then go, and this is when I get diagnosed with cancer and here's when we Aye. found out we were maybe going to lose the house. It's like, you just keep, <laughs> you know, you keep your highlights, but if you can if you can look at these things with a consciousness of, right, okay, good for them, that's that person's highlight reel. But, you know, it's not, it's not, as you say, it's not that everything. And it'll maybe be a bit easier for people to deal with. Or just take a break for it as well. If you're, if you're struggling, I take wee breaks I mean, all the time. I, I, and I feel of course, good. Matt. And it's it's easier said than done and all that when, when, especially in times like this where there's not really anything else going on. So it's constantly mm-hmm. flicking the phone on. And I find the wee things that are quite good when they, uh, they monitor your usage. You've been on the phone for 22 hours a day. You're like, get off it. Hi. See when it comes. See when it comes up. That would you like to see your screen time? I'm like that can get to fuck. 
that's it's the, that that and would you like to see your balance when I go to take money at the bank? I'm like, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I like cover it up <laughs> so I can't see it. <laughs> um, to to go back to you then, we'll we'll have a wee look at I suppose moving in. What was your what was your first foray into into rapping or the music scene? Did it come as a a wee opportunity that you grabbed, or was it something deliberate? No, it was. I mean, I was very. My intro into rap was very cliched. It was, um, I heard the Marshall Maffers LP. Uh, I think Slim, the real Slim Shady had heard the single, liked it. My mum bought me the album. And that was my first, I think, as I recall, anyway, that was my first, like, oh, this is rap. Cool, this is, he's funny. That's my look at swearing. I like this type thing. Mm. And then from there it went and he, just thought it came out, like, into Dr. Dre. And, and then from then when I started to get into it, it was like, and the outcast and like Slum Village and uh, Jay Dilla and like, you know, then it was like Andre, Big in the Pack and just like Andre right. 3000 is my favourite rapper. Andre man. 3000 like, was going to say is your, your number one. He's my, he's my boy. He's like, in terms of the song called The Art of Storytelling Part 4 is like my favourite. I just, I love, I love, like that's, that's very anti-bravado rap, I feel. And uh, it's just clever. So that when I started to hear all that, I was like, well, this, I'm, mm-hmm. I am down for this. But back then, um, up in Scotland, up in Motherwell, <laughs> there was, we never really knew about like English rap, but there was like Dizzy and like, uh, the first thing I can remember hearing was was Roll Deep on a, on Channel U on the telly. Um, and my pals was seen mm-hmm. like Sky Digital and, Channel U was on it and they'd watch like Roll Deep and I remember just thinking that's fuck look at them using it that sounds horrible or English accents rapping terrible so <laughs> I only knew like 50 Cent and all that kind of part so I was like well I, I want to mm-hmm. and I, never, I don't remember going I want to be a rapper I just started doing it and uh, I mean I, 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 I need some karaoke when I was younger and it was a case of my papa at the time was like right my man as the last you run about these streets, you're sitting in now. You're not good out anymore. Mm. And I was, I've was i always been very, like my papa's the only guy in my life that I'll still never swear in front of or be disrespectful to, sort of thing. He's like, because back then, even still then, he's, what, 83 now? I still wouldn't like to get one in the jaw off him, sort of thing. I was just at <laughs> that level of respect. Yeah. So I was like, right, I will then. So I just started doing music my pal. He was going to be my producer. He was going to make the beats. He was, he was learning hip hop EJ. <laughs> I was and I was doing the raps. And then I I developed this this guy called Prime, who was who since discovered on, on reflection. It's kind of a, a guy for he was stateless. I don't know what his accent was for. He was he was kind of <laughs> East Coast, but sometimes he was he had a southern drawl. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, don't know what he was doing, but he, he, so I just started rapping this mad American accent guy called Prime and and started just doing music. And uh, very quickly, that kind of spread through the school that I was doing that. Um, I don't remember it being highly embarrassed. I think it was kind of like, because oh, I had a lot of pals that were all like, fucking class, you did that. And we'd, we'd burn mm-hmm. CDs and I'd give them out to everybody. And then they all came in. I put a gig on, gig on in Airdrie. They all came in a gig and fucking idiots. Like, we're all so young, man, and just be bams. We smashed up this fucking venue in, in Airdrie and, or got launched to it, and that was like back then. I thought I oh, was cool. This is what rappers do. They, they go and they go into <laughs> towns and, and and run through it. Nonsense. 
Uh, and then their papa picks them up to take them up the road. Papa picks up that fucking <laughs> right, my man. Get your ass in this. So done done all that stuff in it, and then uh, in the school, a boy's a couple of years older for me. He was playing in a band, and he wanted to do a, a song with the rapper. I imagine just for a laugh. Mm-hmm. And long story short, that's how the band the band started. That I, I got introduced to Finlay, Daz, and then along came this other guy with tartan trousers called Jamie Fiwashi, and fucking he he changed my whole my whole view and everything. Uh, and that and that was it, mate. That was how the the, the La Fontaine started as such. What I love about stuff like that is when it does happen so organically and so naturally, because it's then there's nothing prepackaged about it whether it's music or whether it's any sort of creative venture, that it's just, it's people that are doing it and they've sort of gravitated towards each other. Um, mm-hmm. Your words, your words, no mine, but you said that falling into that saved you for being a wee fanny. 100%. Um, I, I, and, um, 100%, 100%, mate. I couldn't agree more with my previous statement. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm just wondering as well, when you created the Alter Ego, was that, because you thought all oh, rappers need to be American, or was there a wee bit of it being a conduit for you to be able to express something and go, no, that's not me, that's that's the rapper, that's that other well, guy? Well, in hindsight, maybe the accent is kind of, it's like a mask in it, it's mm-hmm. not really you. So, in a sense, yes. Um, but it's I, I, really just, I think, at base level, which is because that's the only way I knew how to do it. For instance, when we started the band, Right away, the boys were all like, right, well, you'll need to fucking drop that accent, obviously, before we do any mm-hmm. music. That, where, are you, where is it? Your fae. Exactly. Prime. Prime. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Alabama are you from? Motherwell, you exactly. fucking... <laughs> and, it, and, and initially, I had this compromise idea where I was like, well, how about a day some words in American and some in Scottish then? So I'd be doing something, something, and then I'd be like, I hate that in a smart American accent or whatever. That was like the bridge. <laughs> and they were like, that's fucking outrageous. That's even worse. No. So it took, a wee while, it, it took a while to even find what my actual accent would be, like how to mm-hmm. how to do this in this accent was was so foreign to me, man. It was so, it was, that took a wee bit of a while. It took a wee while to kind of refine, which is probably how it took a laugh on things like four years in their career before we, we put an album out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm picturing you bouncing on the stage like, hey, you guys, you's having a pure belter or what? You no, 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 it was, I, I spoke, I spoke like this, it was like, it was, was happening, so she's up for a fucking tune there, like, yo, motherfucker, what's it event? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do it's proud, I'm a to commit crime, that kind of stuff. <laughs> It's fucking amazing. You played your, your first gig was at uh, King Tut's in June 2008 and you opened for uh, American rap duo The Cool Kids. Um, Correct. I mean, what was that like? Are The Cool Kids, what was their, one of their most famous tracks? Did they do one with Chitty Bang? Yeah, the, the Chitty Bang, the, they're a very similar group to Chitty Bang for a start. Um, but they had a song called Black Mags, I think, which I can't, I can't sing yet or whatever, but at the time it was pretty big so on Radio 1 a lot and stuff and mm-hmm. they were over and, and we get to shout to support them at King Tuts actually we had a we had a practice gig before that at the at the Hamilton Palace that's our actual first first ever gig but that's 
Right, okay. Never disclose that. We always just go and make the King Touch was our first gig. How fucking cool are yeah. we? We had to practice shot at the palace. Um, what was that like? I mean, you must have been... Did you feel as if we've made well, it? Or I mean, did you just think... I remember the boys at the palace after I'd finished playing. After we, but like, I remember them saying to me, this has got to be fucking brilliant. Because I was just like... I was so full of it, man. I was, I was so fully just angst and, and bravado I think mm. it's so so false as well it just so like that wasn't it it, it was it was completely unmerited and what I mean like it's my first gig and I'm giving it like I'm the fucking boy and uh, that's that's how I felt when I played a gig it's how actually I feel when I play a gig I feel great I fucking love it uh, it's my favourite thing to do Um which sometimes I think it can be like a polarising. I've refined it now, but I think at the start it can be quite polarising, but like, either like that's fucking amazing, I love watching that, or who the fuck's that dick? What's that about? Mm. So I mean, aye, and, uh, aye, that's so I, I remember the boys, when, when we first played, we were sort of like, this has got to be, we're onto something sort of thing. Um, it'll le- you'll at least be remembered. And from that, I mean, I had, I had no experience since the, I, I never come up, I never done music at school or anything like that. I never knew what score was. I remember when we first played King Tuts, I was asking, like, right, well, how do we get the speakers and that? Like, how do we, who, who, who brings them and, and the mics and the boys in the band who have all, who'd all come up doing gigs? And like, would, would you fuck it? It's there, obviously. You just show up with <laughs> your instruments. I was like, right, right. I, I know that joke. Sorry. I was only kidding on. I was only kidding, just fucking idiot. And uh and played our first gig at King Touch, mate, and it was probably laughably bad, but I remember it being fun. You've been very young. I mean what what comes after that? Because you obviously you've built up did you had you built up obviously like a local following and then obviously that just does that expand and everybody in Motherwell Well who Aye, it felt like everybody in Motherwell and it certainly knew about the band because it was so different. Mm-hmm. Initially, the problem was at the start was was even trying to get people to be in a, in a band because when, when you initially sell it, it's like, right, we're going to make this rap, rock band when I'm doing it a Scottish accent. You up for it? And he's like, no. Obviously uh, not. It kind of, that would sound like a sinking ship to somebody because like, let's translate it let's change the words and what people actually hear when they read between the lines you've just walked up to them and went do you want to make yourself stick out like a sore thumb uh, and create music and all that blah 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 and then they'll go they're about to say no and then you go and it's going to be <laughs> and we're going to be rapping <laughs> going to be like, and by the no. way I might do Summit and American and Summit and Scottish so see, what, whoever, see whoever turns up they just blah. Like, I think the fuck not Um <laughs> I so, so did, sorry you go. So, so 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 that was that is kind of what happened. And the ones stupid enough to to show up are the ones that are still with us. But, but even mm. at that point, it was it was still there was like there was no blueprint to follow. See, like the the music industry constantly claims it wants something different all the all the time. It's always looking for the next big thing, and that's right there is is a fucking lie. That is not mm-hmm. what they want. What they want is the same thing packaged just a bit different so yeah if Ed Sheeran's the biggest thing happening they want another Ed Sheeran just a bit different Lewis Capaldi's the biggest thing they want another Lewis Capaldi a bit different Lewis Capaldi's actually 
is maybe actually a, a strange example because what Lewis has done is is completely flip the stereotypical pop star on his head, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal to watch. I love it. I love every I love every single thing about it. It's perfect. It just does not compute. This guy who's acting like fucking Ricky Gervais or Lemmy and is massive in America. That's fucking bonkers. That's amazing. But generally speaking, Dell's the biggest thing. They want another kind of Adele. They they want a a band like Bastille was big. They want another band like Bastille is. That's how it goes. So what they don't want is somebody that comes that that doesn't really fit in any, any sort of box, any sort of genre because it's that requires work. Who do they support? Mm-hmm. How do we package that? How do we sell that? Where does that sit in radio? It's it's a hard sell. So they don't want that. And back then, we had nothing really to copy. The closest thing we could maybe go to was like gym class heroes was maybe like mm-hmm. a thing. Um, an American group, gym class heroes. Or then you get lazy comparisons like, or is it like Linkin Park then, or is it like the Chili? And it was nothing like that, nothing like any of them. So we had to kind of like be first through the door with the LaFontaine sound, which to be fair, took us about maybe four or five years to find before we even put a, an album up sort of thing, just trying to find what that was. It's uh, You've said before on paper that your sound appears, or your, your description would sound terrible of you as a sound. Um, but then once you hear it, you're like, "Oh, aye, that does work." And and I know what you mean by that. I, I personally love it. Um, Thank you, Sean. Mate. And when I say when I say to people, when I'll, they'll be like, "So what kind is it?" And I'm like, "So well, I don't know. It's like good at instrumental parts." And I'm like, "Then there's a rapping which is really good, and it's so unique because it's so distinctly Scottish." But you'll never hear a Scottish per- person speaking that way because, as you say, yeah. you've had to you've had to formulate how do I do this rap and make it Scottish in my own accent, but still in a way where I can rap it. And then I'm like, but then there's also good vocals where it sounds like a bit of a rock song, and people are like, so uh, what is it? And I'm like, I don't know, man. You just need to you just kind of need to listen to it. <laughs> and then and like you've said this, people listen, and they go, all oh, right, aye, I know what you mean, right? Okay, you just can't you can't really label it. I think that's what makes it so cool. Totally, and and and. Even more so when you see it live is when it's it's unquestionable. I mean, even sometimes on the record, people are like, ah, right, oh, but, but I'd maybe need to see that. But when you see it, they understand it. It's like a band and your man raps. But your man's the front man of the band and there's big singing choruses there. I understand how this, this works. Just on paper, as I said, as, as you, you reiterated there, it's, it does sound weird. So I always just say, it's a rock band. No, that's, that's, how I've, mm-hmm. that's where I've landed. And I try and put right. it on, go and go and listen to it, sort of thing. It's a rock you know? band, and sometimes I freestyle and spit some bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, how does it go? Because I'm quite, I'm really impressed by obviously supporting like Endobs, who people might laugh at them now, but at the time, although they might have been on the periphery of coolness, the Endobs were fucking huge. You've got Chitty Bang example. You were at Rock Nest live at Loch Lomond. You you played in Tea in the Park. Um, I mean, how? What is the next step? Do you basically establish right? We've got a following. Right, we, it's a great live experience. Do promoters or management then start putting you places? Like, what's the process? Help a, a, a non-music person to understand. What happened at the start was we done. We put the first gig at King Touch after the, the entry level at the Palace. Done the King Touch. Played two gigs at the Box. Then we got asked to play live at Loch Lomond up at. 
uh, what woman and uh, played that and then we came back off the back of that and then we started like having a week and a a wee Glasgow scene buzz and we would get like yeah, dub support or the example support at the student unis chitty bang at the Archies when the Archies were still a thing um, wow that's how long we've been going and uh, before it was a fucking food market or whatever it is <laughs> and, uh, it's mental isn't it what a waste anyway so we started playing the student unis and, and, and that get a wee buzz for being a good student uni freshers band and then we get our, our first credible thing um, or our first kind of band um, support tour was supporting Twin Atlantic and that was the first time we played like the Barres uh, done like a full kind of like UK sort of tour where it was like fuck man we're, we're playing outside the Glasgow now this is mad we're, mm-hmm. we're in Manchester this is mental and, and, and the, how that came about was sort of just trying to play everywhere in Glasgow at this time just like notice us we're, we'll play the box every night of the week if it means there's a chance we could you'll notice us that's kind of what we've done mm-hmm. we just played the box all the time until we get um, noticed enough to, to get asked to go on a mm-hmm. tour and then it was I mean, we were still we were in fucking MySpace man we were that's how old we are <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have MySpace it's mental you've been cutting about for quite a while obviously mm-hmm. you, sold, you, just, you sold it at the bars didn't you I I done it. So, I mean, to, to go from to go from escape your everyday with out of this world action from the gritty apocalypse of the Walking Dead universe to the cyberpunk realm of the Watch and the criminal underbelly of gangs of London. AMC Plus is more than entertaining; it's epic. Feel all the chills and thrills with Shutter's halfway to Halloween month. Experience Shudder's biggest month of horror featuring a new season of Creepshow and new movie premieres every week, all available ad-free and on demand. Start your free trial today at amcplus.com. Well, even growing up, football being my main thing, mm-hmm. I still knew that the Barris was like a, a fucking serious venue and I had no idea about what the what music was at all. I knew the Barris was a place. But for the rest of the boys who grew up giving it like the Barris was their equivalent to fucking the San Siro or fucking right. you know I mean Celtic Park or or, or um and the interesting balance Ibrooks there's other uh, other teams <laughs> are available. <laughs> uh, the, for them when we when we finally got to, to headline the Barris and sell out the Barris I still got to be one of the best nights of our life. Do you know what I mean? Selling out mm-hmm. 2,200 people at the Barris was, to come and more singing your songs was, was, uh, it's, we, it's very hard. I mean, we've, done, we've done the Barris since and done the same thing mm-hmm. since, but it'll never be that first time where we, Aye. it was just like a feeling like no other. I mean, that's an incredible achievement. If there's anybody who's listening to this and is wondering what the Barris is, we're talking about the, the famous Barraland Ballroom um, which reopened in 1983 when Deacon Blue, um, it used to be a, an old ballroom in Glasgow, and in 1983 it was reopened. Deacon Blue filmed a video, and then it became a concert venue. And the biggest that it's the number one, and it? it for me, it's better than the Hydro. It's more prestigious Miles than the Hydro. Better. Miles it's, better. You know, every everybody who's anybody has played there, and that, you know people will list it as a number one. You're even talking people like fucking David Bowie and all that. It's just the ultimate. 
you ask any touring band, American to uh, British, one of their favourite venues to play, they'll, they'll always mm-hmm. cite the Paris. What a place, uh, mate. Yeah, There's just I something know, about the room. Something, it, it's also where it is in Glasgow. Like it's like it feels like it's in real Glasgow and East End. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely does. Last year, um, I recorded something. We it might still come out. I don't know if Fiona White's listening to this, but we I recorded a, like a show basically with Billy Sloan, you know, the music journalist. Aye, aye. Uh-huh. And uh, it was brilliant, right? It was just me and him, and we had to, we had to run out of place, and uh, we stood in the stage, interviewed him on the stage, the entrance, the back door, um, you know, the back steps. Where are the posters at? Aye, aye, and uh, we sat, and I mean, it was incredible, because I was like, we're in the changing room, and I'm going, well, what experiences do you remember here? And he's like, well, I sat there with David Bowie, and I sat with Liam and Noel there before they played their show, where Liam walked, I think Liam walked off, um, and it was just, it was incredible, it's also haunted, It's and we spoke to one of the managers, because we were standing on the stage, and the door just slammed, but there was nobody aye. there, and it's a big, heavy, like, fire door. And I was like, fucking get me out of here, man, as much as I'm, I'm like this. It's creepy. Um, there, so there was the baddest thing, and I suppose another momentous thing, uh, and we'll talk about the, the controversy, or the internal controversy that surrounded it, but you were on the, was it the tea introducing stage at Teen the Park? Well, we've, we've done, we've done kind of, we've done near enough all the, 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 the tea in the Park stages. We walk, we came up from the, the, the one you're probably talking about is, even though we, the we, one, we have, with the, it's the tea break stage, that one. Was that was that the, I, the one where um, Jamie was almost in absentia? So the tea break stage was a, was a, I don't know, maybe that was 2011. That was the first time we played tea in the park. And that was like, the, we kind of, we shut the tent down. It was, that, it was that busy sort of thing. That was like, that was a moment in itself. The next mm-hmm. time after that, so the second out of the three times we played it, was we were headlining the BBC introducing stage. And that's when we get referring to my drummer nearly got kicked off the festival and got himself a lot of trouble. <laughs> I will. Um, what, what, what? I can, I'll, I can I'll go allow to that you. Aye, you can go to that one. Well, I tell you what, the because I wanted to touch on the podcast. I've got the laughing things podcast. I can confirm I've nearly crashed the car with laughing, and I felt I've nearly fell off my bike twice. We're laughing at these stories, and I'm like, "There's no fucking." I'm like, "One, if that, let's just pretend this is true, right? Of course, it's true." But I'm like, "If that's true, if that's really happened, I can't believe that they're telling this story of their own volition and just putting it out there." Like, I mean, you can choose, you can choose because I don't want to spoil the podcast for anybody or or take away the point for anybody listening. I would encourage them to listen. The laugh is it just called the Laughing Teens Podcast? The Laughing Teens Podcast. I laugh on Tate's podcast. It's called Sean. Very and it's basically st- sto- stories of of the things that you just got up to in tour. But I'll, I'll allow you to tell if you can tell us the the Teen well, Park the, one, and then maybe the American one. I will. Well, the, the 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 podcast came about as a as a result of the plague that we're all fucking fucking currently going through. So <laughs> we were like, how do we keep in contact? Well, we could just do this. This kind of zooming. Everybody's doing. I mean, we just record it, mm-hmm. but. We kind of wrote, we are setting out and we wrote a book uh, called The LaFontaine Solved 12 of Life's Most Common Problems. And it's it's basically all written from Jamie, our drummer, and kind of chorus guy, singer, um, his perspective. So he writes a story. So the, the one in particular that you're, you're mentioning is, 
it's called the on the podcast it's called the Five Skin Express. So long story short, there was a an inf- Jamie's from Wisher from other there's an infamous bus that used to run from Wisher to Balado when Tina Park was at Balado. It's called the Five Skin Express. It was so well known that people from all over people would come out from like fucking Balado would come to Wisher to go back up to Balado just to get a <laughs> shot on the bus. Sort of thing. It was like a they called it a, a, a wishy it was like a wishy zoo. It was just a lot of the most fucking crazy people on this bus paying mm. everything, paying everything. It was just a bonkers bus. Anyway, Jamie, we weren't playing until the Sunday. We were on the headlining the stage until the Sunday. And Jamie had said to us, I'm going to go up in that bus on the Thursday. Um, just letting you know. And he'd been planning this for like months. And we'd been like, aye, aye, Sonia, obviously no chance of you doing it. Anyway, somehow he managed to talk us around to like letting him go up. But it was right under really strict fucking instructions of do what you want on Thursday then, mate. But see Friday, Saturday, can it? Just fucking do nothing. Behave. Stop. The, don't be a fanny. Prior to this, he's, he's got previous for fucking things up. He's always out. He's not. He's always drunk. He's always causing a fucking scene. So, and also prior to this as well, we started to get a bit of reputation for being a bit rowdy and and promoters and stuff are maybe thinking let's just stay out of the road they're hassle which I hate because mm. I fucking hate being hassle but we were just young and excitable um, so he goes up on this bus and I mean I'll let the story if you listen to the podcast that'll go into much more detail but long story short he's drunk he's out his chops and he thinks he's doing nothing but smoking a joint and the police stop him and I like right smoke a joint Put that out, obviously. Try to be sound. And then we sneak here, we search. And he's like, ah, it's fine, there's nothing on me, sort of thing. No worried about it. Anyway, the police find this huge bag of speed on her, which could, you could deal with a full of fucking tea in a bar. It's that big. It's like a rucksack. And, uh, <laughs> and he's got no idea that he's carrying this at all. That's how fucking out he's not, he is. So, as opposed to shutting his mouth and just being escort off the site and deal with whatever harm and he's drunk he's, he, he thinks it'll be a smart idea to tell them these poles here that don't worry about it mate I know listen just take a speed I'm I'm playing this weekend in a band called La Fontaine's don't worry <laughs> about it it's just take a half mate let me back in we're all good Pulse is like she didn't fucking tell us that son next minute it's through in the radio the drummer for the La Fontaine's is doing this and it causes this fucking out, outrage, man. So they let him go, though. <laughs> but as opposed to, somehow he's, he's already escaped with one of his lives there. They let him go and as opposed to just going home, he's fucking trying to jump back out of the fence. He's, I'm hearing stories that he's on a quad trying to go out of the fucking fence and, and get back in, jump out of buses into the campsite cause, and then going into the box office giving it, do you know who I'm at? I'm, I'm Jamie for Laf- let me in. This is all the, the stories you hear. He he tells it very differently, and I'm getting phone calls going after not like you need to get him down. You're not playing anymore. He's been kicked after the festival, and I'm trying crisis management, giving it like, well, if he doesn't play, can we still play? Do you know what I mean? And then there was at one point there was talking maybe got to be allowed to get back and play as long as they get a police escort onto the stage, which he thought was cool as fuck. Like this got to be amazing. <laughs> what my street cred through the roof, man. And uh, came to the Sunday when we went to be playing and we found out on the Sunday morning that 
there was no chance and we were going to have to forfeit the set. Luckily, I, there's a drummer, a new guy called Ian Stewart, who's probably the best drummer in Scotland. He'd four and a half hours to learn their full set, which was televised for the BBC, playing a clip track. Sick. Uh, came up with, and there's a wee practice kit backstage where all the bands go, and we just, we just commandeered that for the full day, learned the full set, and played on the telly. And it, it was such, it was so good. It kind of looks like Jamie a wee bit. Jamie's aunties were watching that night and went, I seen you in the telly, son, you were looking brilliant before it was Jamie that was playing. <laughs> but mate, I had to go up the, the day on the Sunday and I was try, I was making deals with like the sun, which is fucking sad, the sun and Daily Record and all that, um, giving it like, please don't break this story because it was going to be like, meant to be a page free story, like banned, banned from the festival, that kind of part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that stage, it was. It felt like it was. It could have really fucking killed her career. And in hindsight, yeah. now maybe it didn't feel like that. But but at that time, that was our biggest thing. That was the biggest thing we were ever going. We had ever were going to do at that point. It was mm-hmm. televised, teen the park, really in with DF. Then it was going to be, and and the, the wee man fucked it. And it was, it was nearly well at the band. Then we had a kind of crisis meeting after that, where we had to kind of screw it up. Mm-hmm. You also get admitted to hospital for overdrink. Fuck's sake. It was, um, it's one of those ones that if you're a wee bit more established, then it can be great PR because if you're established, you're established. But if you're at that point, you're teetering on the edge. It's, it's hilarious in hindsight. And I did laugh and I kind of was like, fucking hell. But when I kind of put myself in the position, I was raging at him as well. <laughs> like, oh. just as if that's, I mean, it, the- take it, you just hammered him. Oh mate, the, the only his only saving grace was the fact that we couldn't get at him. I would have fucking ragdolled him, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, happily, and 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 I remember him kind of joined me to come to the studio and showed Ian the drums. I'm like, that's fucking that's the stupidest suggestion you've ever made in your life. You come mm-hmm. in the studio, fucking imagine we see you then. And uh, <laughs> it, it was about two weeks later we managed to kind of calm down and. After it kind of went okay, and we met him at the tiki bar in Glasgow, we had manager being a kind of media, and uh, and gave him his kind of last chance sort of thing. Um, and but I mean, it's just fully like the, the New York story you're talking about was the first time we went to New York for this thing called Scotland Week, which was which I oh, thought yeah, would be a tar- tartan thing and all that. Oh, it's mental! I thought there'd be about four or five people there, and it's there was thousands Massive. fucking like. Or he's like, I'm one of Scottish. You're like, are you though? I don't know. No, no, you're not, mate. Where's Sucky Hall Street then? <laughs> exactly. And uh, in New York, eh, in the, the first episode of the podcast, it's called Crack in the Big Smoke. And uh, he gets tricked into smoking crack cocaine. And he says he's fine <laughs> talking about it now because, like, it's been six years since and he's no smoke crack since. <laughs> so he's like, he, he's clean. <laughs> <laughs> got over his crack yeah I can see him on the front page my crack hell <laughs> oh, the podcast is absolutely brilliant it's genuinely hilarious and I encourage everybody to go and listen to it and to go and tune in uh, you, they will definitely enjoy it um, one of the other things I want to touch on which I love like I love these stories and I just find it so funny the way that you have tended to make your music videos where you will receive a budget for the label or whatever and then you'll either spend it on a holiday or you will <laughs> bet it all on <laughs> you'll bet it all on black on the roulette and there's it's, one where you see, see the one you lost that's your uh, best video yet 
it's been it's often been said that, but it's it's funny. It's it's kind of it's worked against us that there's there's labels have stopped giving us money to make videos. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it's whether you're talking about it's a song called Under the Storm, and we get given a, a budget of um, about eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred fifty quid. I think so. Let's say two grand for talk's sake. But it wasn't the video we wanted to make for that song required a budget of just under five grand. So we were kind of stuck because we had a great director in mind who was, was like, for 5K, I can make this and this is a concept. And we were like, oh, buzzing, that'll be amazing, man. What a video that'll be. Anyway, we had a meeting and we're like, I was like, why don't we just fucking, why don't we just double it? Let's go, let's go to the casino and fucking double that. Easy and we'll definitely win. Fucking ask the universe for it, it'll give us it. No problems, telling you. So we get suited and booted. I get a wee camera fitted to me and my suit jacket and uh, went to the Corinthian. <laughs> First bet on roulette. Two, <laughs> two and a half grand we put in because we chipped in some dough and fucking first bet lost, man. <laughs> That's <Aww>. the <laughs> Went what to like red or black kind of mind, and I was just a sinking feeling. I was like, ah, oh, there was, there was, there was no thought that that would ever happen. We would have lost that. So then it was a Casey. Like, well, we still need to submit a video. So how do we do that? So somebody knew a, a guy who had a Clydesdale horse. So we, we asked him if we could get a shot of his Clydesdale horse. I knew a guy in Airdrie that had a gym. I asked him if I could use his gym and put his treadmills together. Uh, my my. Somebody I knew had a, a speedboat at Loch Lomond. I went up and asked for that, shot of that. Um, we hired rollerblades for the, the promise that we would come back and do a gig at this roller disco um, and shot everything, everything for free. And we always get caught. People always say, like, well, there's New Yorks in that video. How, how, how did you just get there for free? And that's that was free as well because we won that big Apple competition. It takes to New York. So... Everything in that video is completely free. It's completely true. We lost all the money and made this video just putting shit together. Uh, and 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 that's that's how we've done videos. And, it, and since then, we've, like, we went to Morocco with Sahara Desert, shooting a video. Got arrested in, in Morocco, shooting a video. Not allowed to film in Morocco, apparently, without a permit. Uh, which, yeah, that's a funny story. Which, uh, that was like an episode of Homeland, just been taking it in this holding cell and after shouting at you in Arabic. <laughs> That was fucking terrifying, man. They kept telling me I worked for BBC. You worked for BBC, you know, and technically, technically, I, I did work for the BBC at the time, so I was like, <laughs> I was like, ah, I don't think you know what you're talking about. No, I don't. And uh, I, they tried to make it delete all the footage, but luckily on the way, when they, they huckled us, uh, Oscar, the guy who was filming it, he managed to take the card out and slip it in his boxers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just, he, he deleted all the footage that, we didn't need sort of thing, so we still managed to. That night we left for the Sahara Desert after we got to Huckle in, in Marrakesh. But that was that was madman because what happened? They took us to a holding cell, interrogated us for eight hours, and then then suddenly they just left, and it was like, "Can we go?" So after about half an hour, kind of foot on a bit, we just all one by one left this cell, um, like holding room, sorry, out the door, and back to our hotel and we're like fuck we got we went at Delta two hours later like it felt like every Polish motor in Morocco was in our hotel and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the Polish had come in and, 
and they were talking to the guy at reception. I heard their song "King" playing. But we tell these guys that we were just shooting a a, a, a holiday video. We were running certainly they work with the BBC, and we we were just having a good time shooting a week in the travel video. But we told the hotel guy that we were obviously what we were actually doing. So the mm. police come down and he's like, "Oh yeah, the band upstairs. This is the song they're doing and playing the tune for oh, us and all that." Fuck. The police come in and flip all the mattresses in the room and all this part. So that Did night, they just let you away, though. Aye, we just kind of kept going. They kept they wanted us to pay a fine, sort of thing. We just kept giving it the we're poor and we don't have any money. And I think they kind of, I think they were talking to Jamie and just could not understand them. And. Uh, they're like this, this Russian guy isn't making any sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the guy that's on the crack. Get him, fuck. <laughs> so that night we right. went for the desert. Did you film? You filmed a video in was it Goa in India as well? I we done uh, the first time we went to. That was kind of different because we were going to play a a festival. Uh, this mm. Picardy weekend, our festival was called, which was like what an experience that was, man. We, we played and. Uh, I remember just after we came off stage, like playing on thousands of people, it was on a, the stage was kind of like, like a Tomorrowland type stage. It was a, like as if mm-hmm. Disney had to design that stage. And uh, came off stage in the audience, like mad Indians, Indian folk going like, um, <laughs> super futuristic music, man. We love it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then we just shot a video starting about there. Done one in in Venice and in, in Lake Garda as well, and that was oh wow, that was weird though. That was because one that was someday from the band had had just left, but he told told the shit, so we'd booked the hotel and the flights and all that, and he just never showed up. So, like, well, he's singing the choruses in this song. How does how's that going to work? Uh, so we just got a blow up doll, put his a mask on it over his face. And just kicked about Venice with this blow up doll. But Venice is the worst place ever to do something like that because it just looked like we were in this mad, terrible stag do on the maze, like <laughs> walking aye. by nuns and all that with this fucking blow up doll with a mask on it. It just looked like the worst, worst guys ever. Why Why did the guy leave? And why did he do it in a fashion like that? Well, it was, to be fair to John, it was, it was a, a kind of a long time coming. He was, with, with this kind of game man it's sort of like like if you look at it we've, we've got a top 40 album and if you told the the young prime as it were like time you've got a top 40 album or you're selling at the bars or you're playing in fucking India or whatever do you think mm-hmm. you'll be making a proper crust off this I'd have been like absolutely of course but the reality is to be quite honest it's, it's not really like that it's unless you're in the kind of 1% where you kind of explode as it were um, onto the scene it's the money's really tight in it to, to, to do this as a full time job and John just had enough of being skint all the time and mm-hmm. and, and went for a, a real job and got it and it's quite hard to tell somebody who's on who's got going like maybe 50k a year I know mate that's that's cool but do you want to come and no make any money for three months Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean it's, it's a funny it's, aye, it's it's such a funny one because it's maybe partly the reason why people will argue that only uh, people from wealthy privileged secure backgrounds will ever go on to do anything in the arts because they can afford to go periods without making money because it's like you have to jump this chasm of unpredictability and instability 
in order to get over to the other side where all the riches lie. But it's like, well, that isn't feasible for everybody to do. And I, I do pose the question quite a lot. How many uh, intelligent, insightful, creative, um, brilliant people are lost because they don't have that that safety net? Um, you, it's, you, it's, a, it's a funny one. You're bang on there because that is the reality. I think, I mean, it's it's since I started to now as well, there's far less bottom class people in the game. And even then there was a mm. shortage of it. But it's, it's, it's down to that. It's, unless you've got mum and dad's money to have a safety net on, who can you can just kind of fanny about for a bit and, and see what it's like mm. to be a musician. Um, it's really, really hard. You need to make a lot of sacrifices in terms of things that you you want to do. And, and as you go older, you start you start seeing friends and, and family or move on with their lives, like maybe get married, have kids, buy a house, nice motors, and you're still giving it. I, I know, but I'm I'm playing a gig. Do you want here's some tickets? Do you want them? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. It's it's hard, yeah. and I think even me coming out of lockdown, you'll see even less people because yeah, how do you withstand it the now? Quite hard to go to a building site than yeah. You know I know. See, that, that kind of circles back to the whole people getting stressed out about how they see others doing on, on um, social media and, and, and what have you. And it's so hard. It's easy to see it and it's harder to do it. But I feel like the baseline of the everything that everybody does day to day, every decision you make is with the end goal of fulfillment or contentment or just being happy. And you have to really ask yourself, what is it that you really enjoy doing most? And all right, you've got to be pragmatic and you have to have an, an income and you have to be able to support yourself. But the minute we start making decisions based on, right, well, here's what uh, persons X, Y, and Z have done. And here's what the, the what I perceive the expectations to be for me to have a kid, to get a mortgage, to have a job. If that's what you want to do, crack on. There's nothing wrong with that. But I always try and encourage people and say, don't think that you have to fit into that box. Just the way that somebody maybe can't understand why a struggling musician would would graft for six months and not make much money, they will struggle to understand that. That musician could struggle to understand why you wouldn't. And I suppose it's just about then, don't look at what others are up to. Just think, what, what, do you really, what do you really want to do? And I think if whatever you're doing every single day or for most partly, because I don't think it's going to be 100%, going to be amazing all the time, but for the most partly, everything that you're doing and pursuing, if you really, really enjoy that, then you've won. And I think anything else on top of that is just a a bonus. And the minute that we start placing the importance of what we want to do based on how much financial reward we get for it, slippery fucking slope, because numbers are infinite. And if you're into material things, you're never going to be satisfied you're never going to scratch that itch. And um, yeah, I'm not demeaning or denigrating anybody who who works hard and just does what they're doing. If you enjoy that, great. Brilliant. But just think about what it is you enjoy. And you seem to me to be somebody that has thoroughly enjoyed every part of the ride and it doesn't seem to be slowing down any either. No, I, 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 you're, you're bang on with that, mate. And I've met enough, I've been fortunate enough to meet, meet a few people who've who've attained quite a, a high level of success and materialistic things. And when they kind of come out the other side, it, it seems like they would always have rather sacrificed that 
for doing something that they 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 enjoy and believe in, or they have passion for. And the reason I do music is is because the feeling I get when I play with my my best mates on stage all over the world. Fortunately enough, is is uh, a feeling I've I've never came close to in in terms of fulfilment or enjoyment. And there is absolutely shite times. There is absolutely times where you're like, what, another nine hour drive in a van with these fucking mm. four idiots or whatever. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or like, or, or it would be really good to go on holiday, but well, I don't really kind of probably need to try and pay my rent as opposed to do that. Or mm. like the now where it's like, I've, I've not made money properly in three months. That's, that's grim. Um, yeah. That, there's there's plenty of downsides to it, but overall, it's it's striving for something that like I want I want to go and make music and I want to I'm dying to play another show. Mm-hmm. I like talking about it. I like I always look at it, Sean, like it's a uh, stories for the dinner table, mate. And I feel like I've got plenty of stories for the dinner table, which which makes me happy. I, I just like I like experiences, man. I like stuff I can recall as opposed to. Uh, stuff you can touch stuff I can touch where do you know what I mean uh, no I, I totally agree mate I totally agree I think um, the way I, I, another way that I would put it is if you've got seven days left that's it somebody somebody taps your shoulder and says from right now you've got seven days what are you going to get up to and then whatever it is that you think you'll get up to I would base my life around that obviously you can't make a living out of hanging about with your family so I would say more of from your creative enjoyment <laughs> endeavour because somebody might go, well, I would just go and watch Jeremy Kill with my gran all week. And I'm like, great, do that more because that obviously makes you happy. But whatever it is, your hobby, like try try and pursue it or a job that you like where you, you feel as if you're, you're giving something. One thing I wanted to say as well is um, back on the, the working class thing about how many working class people are in the arts. I mean, so many funny, intelligent people, but they don't have that option. And that, there's a photographer Tommy Gakin won and he said that uh, oh fuck no, I can't remember what exactly was he said he was talking about actors being lost like working class potential actors being lost because they can't just leave work to go to an audition or whatever and he said um, he feels that working class or poor people would be the best at really getting experiences across on screen because they've experienced it all because one they know what it's like to be poor but they know what it's like to be rich because rich people are never done fucking telling them how good it is. And look at all the, <laughs> all the things I've got. Whereas a rich person doesn't, a rich person doesn't know what it's like. I, I've got an example of being fucking poor. Sometimes at McDonald's, right, there's a beeping that goes off when I think the chips are burning, uh-huh. and I have fucking flashbacks of pure stress. <laughs> to hearing the beeping going off and knowing that's my electricity about to expire and you're, you're, you know, at age 20 in the flat and you're like scrambling to find a fiver or, you know, being in a shop and having to do, thankfully not had to do this for years, but I have done it where you're having to count, right, can I get this? Have I got enough left for a bag of old teasers? And as much as it's a fucking brutal experience, I I don't know, it wires you up in a certain way or it just... It frames the world for you in a way that it goes on to benefit you, I think. I remember the first time we rent that flat, me and one of the boys for the band, like, putting the kettle on and just seeing how much lecky it made the wee thing spin. Aye. And just been like, well, 
that's the last cup of tea we'll ever have for them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? we, uh, we, just, we just don't drink tea anymore. Uh, you don't get it. if you want a fucking tea, piss off to the cafe. <laughs> uh, we 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 clocked at a, we had a flatmate years ago, and we realised that in the landing outside there was a plug, so we bought an extension cable. <laughs> we wired up wired up the TV and all that to this thing because <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't visible to anybody else because you only entered it if you were entering their flat, and they just never copped on the whole time. We saved all sorts. I used to charge my phone on it and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, the, the the weekend that we played the we played the main stage at Tina Park on the Saturday and on the Monday <clears throat> I was back working on a, a build site fitting fit session case windies we just me and this other guy a guy called John who only spoke about himself in the third person so he'd be like <laughs> Can you think you could get John that hammer there? And I'm like, you're fucking John, like. <laughs> and then he'd be like, Jane, you could go to Greg's and get John a wee sausage roll, right? <laughs> and then I remember him sitting rolling his fags, man, just sitting having break and going, I don't worry, kid, you'll play team the part one day. I was like, fucking played it fucking six times. I'm still sitting here with you, man. This is this is <laughs> what is life all about? The mad seesaw effect. Those are, the t- just, those are the times when you question yourself, but then I suppose it hammers home. I that's what I want to be want to be getting up to with my life. Well, definitely, and I feel like as a band, we're 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 at a point where we've kind of gained enough of our form, we've we've got enough of our back catalogue, we're established enough that, and it's and we've put so much time and effort into it that we can only we're in a stage where we just need to keep going relentless. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, in saying that, though, it's no blind faith. Like if it, if it didn't feel like it was still moving. I would wrap it, excuse the pun, and uh, <laughs> and and try something else, mate. But it's every. I feel like every year, certainly my last album, that I feel like it's constantly getting better and growing. So, mm-hmm. so long may it continue. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you were due to be playing in Holland and Russia in May and July of this year. Obviously, that's gone to pot because of what's been happening. But you're playing Thailand, India. You've been over in New York. Um, things are are gone well. Do you know? Of what? Oh, what am I talking about? Do you know what's coming up? I've got a fucking ticket. You're playing it. <laughs> t- tell us about the gig in September, and are there oh, any man. tickets available? I mean, there's apparently uh, ninety six tickets left available, which is which is no bad considering. Um, like for driving. this, I for a driving gig. So basically, there's uh, how it works is we're playing a a drive-in show, so we'll be on stage. Three hundred motors will pull up. Um, we a limit of six people to a car. You have two car parking spaces, one for your car, the other one for you jump out, have a wee boogie. If it's raining, put up your umbrella. Somebody will come out and serve you food and all that part, some drinks for the person that's no driving, and we'll play some tunes, and I'll have a radio mic, meaning that I will definitely be on your car bonnet or in your back seat, doing all that part. So That's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's, it's weird, man. It's like, listen, it's, it's not what I... It's no ideal. I wouldn't have said to me last year, like, you up for doing that? I'd have been like, no, nah, I'll just stick to gigs, mate. But, but it's <laughs> the it's the, the bridge that needs to happen to make the economy start again, the gig economy start again, I think, mate. It's like, mm-hmm. as soon as that gig get announced, I had my like my lighting guy, my sound guy, my merch person, like, hitting me up, giving it right way back on then. And it's, because mm-hmm. there's all these other people that we employ as well, which yeah. all need a shift. Do you know what I mean? And 
the only way we can make money as a band really is is live performances and merch. So it's essential that we get back out in the road. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll be a laugh, man. We'll look at some sort of fucking destruction derby thing happening. It will be a lot of fun. I really can't wait. I suppose I need to give him a shout out. I'm going with Martin Melly. Uh, I still haven't actually sent him the money for my ticket yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I just keep for, I just keep forgetting so to be honest. <laughs> uh, aye, so we'll be there. No, I'm really looking forward to it. For me, it's encouraging that we're moving in the right direction. Right, things aren't how we want them to be, but they're a lot better than they were even just two or three weeks ago. This is the. 7th of July for anybody listening 2020 you know in the 7th of June things were a lot worse so we're getting there it's a compromise right we can't have it the way we really want it but it'll still be fun uh, something new something unique and I uh, and you're helping to support um, the live music scene so get your tickets and uh, I'll also be Please there do. for f- socially distanced photos and autographs as well uh, so you can meet the main man <laughs> meet the main man uh, so. mate that's this has been uh, honestly I say this all the time I don't know if it's just because every time I just have a great time but I've enjoyed it possibly one of my favourite chats I've had except for Eamon Dean the uh, ex-Al-Qaeda bomber go and listen to that interview if you've not heard it that was my, my that's, ultimate favourite that's my favorite plan for the night to go and listen to that mate after this I've been dying to hear that story it sounds amazing if you enjoy it tweet it to your followers so they all go and listen and then I get 50 pence for everybody that tunes in <laughs> mate Class. what a pleasure look forward to seeing you as well speak to you soon mate uh, cheers, Shawnee boy. Nice one, mate. Blethered was written, recorded, and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. From The Big Light Studio. I'm from Australia, the land down under. I am from Brazil. Hi, guys. I'm from South Africa. Tell me something. What would you say if you knew the world was listening? My boss and his wife are terrible people. I mean, I love my man and all, don't get me wrong, but dude is worthless. (laughs) Get back in the loop on What's the Word, the international show of word of mouth. You can find us by keying in What's the Word at Acorn Studio.